word which is being used almost as much as coronavirus or COVID-19 in the last three or four months is the word unprecedented. The media reporters, understandably, they're looking for something to describe it. And, and almost everything is unprecedented. Unprecedented lockdown, unprecedented deaths, unprecedented this and that. As believers, I want us to think about the fact that a time like this for God's people is not unprecedented. In fact, there are a lot of biblical precedents for what we are going through. And uh, the comments I have have been long thought out. They're not directed at anybody, not not in the slightest. They're they're, they're general comments. But I, I think as I'm in contact, especially through the editorial work of the Believers magazine, I'm in contact. Uh, with folk from all around the world. And one of the things I've noticed is that generally we are amazingly slow to even entertain the idea that God has shut us down. That collective assembly witness virtually across the world has been reduced to a minimum or stopped altogether And we must ask ourselves the question, is that just because of the virus? Is God uh, an onlooker to all of this? Is he sitting in the throne of the heavens that is over all? And I'm not being irreverent now, and I'm not being flippant, but is God just looking and thinking, oh, this is a terrible shame, this virus, uh, which is ultimately the result of sin, of course. But, you know, this virus is stopping the saints from meeting together. No, I I think we have to come to the realization, the conclusion, that God hasn't just permitted this, he sent this. Now, there might be many reasons. God very often, in one action, fulfills lots of aims. He's God, he can do that, he's sovereign. We're thinking about it from the point of view of believers individually and as local assemblies of Christians. And because it is such a massive thought, with massive implications, I think we are slow to entertain the idea that God has shut us down. And and therefore, certainly in our own country, in in the UK, there was initially, um, there still is, I suppose in a sense, a great rush to employ technology to circumvent the problem. So there's a great debate going on. I'm writing articles for the magazine now about it. I don't believe personally it's possible to have an assembly meeting in a virtual way. It demands the physical co-location of God's people for many different reasons. And and that's not really the purpose of my conversation with you today. But, But that kind of debate is going on. And we are not, for one second, criticizing brethren who have employed those methods Uh, They are shepherds, they are seeking to do what they can and and, and, uh, what is necessary to keep the flock together. We're not criticizing them. What this period has done is is has caused us to look deeply at what we do and why we do it. It It is exposed, with respect, it has exposed a shallowness of thinking and understanding about the privileges of local assembly testimony and meetings and witness and so forth. 
So maybe, maybe for us as Christians, this is part of God's purpose in the whole thing. Um, I've said it's without, it's not without precedent. Um, the times are unprecedented for us as a generation. I'm in my mid to late 60s. Clearly, I've known nothing like this. I heard you mention our dear brother and sister, Mr. and Mrs. Chambers in their 90s. They've not seen anything like this. So for us as a generation, it's unprecedented. But if we've been, I was just thinking this morning, we've been 15 weeks without the facility for corporate assembly witness. But then when I look in the book of Judges, say chapter six, and, and the chapter opens with the people doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and he delivered them into the hands of the Amalekites and the Midianites for seven years. That's a lot longer, obviously, than 15 weeks. God shut them down. Two chapters before that, chapter four of Judges, and, and God does the same thing in Israel's history. Because they did evil in the sight of the Lord, he gave them into the hands of Jabin. And they were in the hands of Jabin for 20 years. God shut them down. And the reason he shut them down was to get them to reflect. Why would God do this to us? Especially when we're his chosen people. And having reflected on the why, they then repented. And when, the, when there was repentance, there was restoration. That's why God does it. And the fact that he did it repeatedly in Israel's history, would we be surprised that he's done it with us? I think it's because it is such a big idea that we're reluctant to even entertain it. But maybe we should think about it. That God has shut down, generally, local assembly testimony for himself and one of the reasons, just one of the reasons, may well be that he wants us as individual Christians to take stock. Now, the ver a verse you know very, very well indeed in, in Mark chapter 6, immediately before the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, let me just read it to you uh, from Mark chapter 6. Um, and verse number 30 uh, of the chapter, the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart unto a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And I've thought a lot on those verses. Because in the setting of them, um, it's not necessarily the case that chronologically one verse followed the other as one day follows another. But in the setting of Mark chapter 6, the Lord telling his disciples to come apart and rest a while, followed them coming to him, and John Baptist had just been beheaded. There's no record that they came to the Lord and lamented the loss of John. There's no mention that they came to the Lord and commiserated with the Lord Jesus that his cousin had been beheaded. 
No talk of that at all. They just come bursting in and they just told Jesus of everything they had done and everything they had taught. And they were completely bound up with what they were doing. How busy they were, the things that they were teaching. And let's face it, assembly life for the last however many years you want to name it's been very, very busy. We kind of pride ourselves sometimes on the busyness of it all. Conferences here, conferences there, this this program, that program, these meetings, those meetings, we're having another series. It's all good stuff. It's all good. It's good to have doctrine. But then, for example, you see the way doctrines get pulled this way and that way on different social media um, channels, you know, where these kind of things are discussed. So that doctrine almost becomes an end in itself. Is it conceivable? I'm asking the question, my beloved friends. I'm, is it conceivable that we had got generally into the kind of way of things where we were just absorbed with what we were doing and what we were teaching? And the answer in the Lord's eyes for disciples who were full of themselves was come ye apart, come into a desert place. Rest a while. Is he doing that with us now? I would suggest he is. And and one of the reasons why he took them into the desert place to rest a while is because they were so busy coming and going. They hadn't had so much time even as to eat. Isn't it interesting? He took them into a desert place to eat. I wonder, I, I'm, I'm challenged by the things I can reflect on in my own life in later years and what I've seen in other places. And is it too harsh to suggest that, that many folks in assembly fellowship, meetings, 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 conference, conference, program, program, and they're so busy coming and going, there isn't time to eat. I'm talking spiritually that it's all about meetings, and perhaps personally, there's been very little between me and the Lord. My personal devotion to Christ, my personal reading, my personal uh, prayer life, my personal dealings with the Lord Jesus. It's often said at a graveside, we understand, I'm not criticizing at all, but you'll get the point. It's often said at a brother's graveside or a sister's graveside, you know, they love God's assembly. That's great. It's a great testimony. And we love God's assembly, every one of us. But sometimes we forget the Lord of the assembly. It was a great day in, in Jacob's experience when Jacob, Genesis 28, learned the truth of Bethel, the house of God. But it was greater still. He climbed onto another level when later on in Genesis. It wasn't just Bethel, it was El Bethel. He came to know the God of the house of God. So maybe in these days, and you'll have doubtless you've your own take on, on the whole situation, and you're probably tired of hearing everybody else's take on it as well. So I'm, I'm sorry if I'm just adding to that. But um, as intelligent Christians, we, we do look and we say, why, why is God doing this? 
uh, we, none of us in, in December could have dreamed up a way of effectively closing down Assembly Witness globally within days. And yet God has done that. So why? Is it that we as his people have done evil in the sight of the Lord? I'm not talking about chasing after false gods or burning our children or all these kind of things. But, you know, even the assembly, even the assembly can be looked at in an idolatrous way. If that's, if that's our focus and we forgot the Lord of the assembly and we forgot that it's God's assembly, there's dangers in that. So come ye apart into a desert place, rest a while, the Savior says. That's what's necessary for disciples full of themselves, what they are doing, what they are teaching, busy and coming and going, so busy that they're not even eating. And the Lord says, stop, just come apart, rest a while. And so I was enjoying just looking again, who doesn't enjoy Psalm 23? And again, just thinking of Psalm 23 and um, the way in which the, the psalmist speaks of the fact that in the second verse, he, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. That's what he's done, I think. I think the Lord has led you and me in the past few weeks and presently beside still waters. And his purpose in that is very simply, number one, refreshment. I understand from those who know about these things that sheep don't like to drink from moving water. They like still water, still clear water. And that's where the Lord has led us. And not only that, but as you're, I'm speaking about the spiritual application of it now, as we, his sheep, are being refreshed from those still waters, there's something else about still water, isn't there? Gives us a reflection. If you go down to the banks of the Hudson and stare into it, you wouldn't get much of a reflection. No disrespect to that great river. It's fast flowing and, and, and it's disturbed and, 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 and the waters aren't clear. But go to a pool of clear, still water. There's nothing more refreshing and you'll get no better reflection than you will from that. So a time of refreshing, a time of reflection. That's maybe what the Lord wants for you and me right now. Uh, that's why I'm a little concerned about dear saints who, who almost seem to feel that We've got to have meetings at all costs. And if we can't have them in the gospel hall, well, we'll have them on Zoom or we'll have them this way or that way. Life's got to go on as normal. Well, maybe maybe God has just said no. No. For the moment, collectively, you're shut down. And the Lord is saying to us, come here apart and rest a while. I want you to take stock. I want you to be refreshed, first of all. So busy, you have not enough time to physically, uh, sorry, to spiritually feed yourselves. So make use of it. Get back to God's word. Get back to personal time with the Lord. Find that refreshment of soul. And you know that as you look into the word of God, you get a reflection. And when that reflection 
shows spiritual blemishes and stains that perhaps we were not really even aware of before, then that produces repentance. So the man who wrote that psalm, David, turn a few more pages in your Bible, you come to Psalm 32. And, and that's where you have David's true psalm of penitence as a result of his sin with Bathsheba. And he has recognized that he has sinned against God. He was nearly a year before he confessed that. So he knew that God knew, and he knew that God knew that he knew. He still wouldn't confess it. Um, David and Joy will know the word. Some of you may have heard it. Thron. Um, they use it. It's not an English word. It's not one we use in England, but in Scotland and Ireland, you'll hear it. Thron. It's, it's beyond stubborn. Thron is just, even when you can see that you've got to give in and must give in, you still won't. That was David. For nearly a year, he, he said he, the, the, the issue was such that his, his bones roared within him, he says in Psalm 32. This is why, this is why God prolongs these periods for his people. 20 years under Jabin, seven years under the Midianites, 70 years in Babylon. God gives the people these prolonged periods because the human spirit, whether it's Israel or whether it's dear saints in the US or me here in Scotland, we're all built of the same stuff. We're all made in the same way. And there is that thronness about us that, that even when the reflection shows that changes are needed. We're just so, so, so reluctant to do it. And eventually, eventually, Israel softened. Eventually, they were turned back to their God, and immediately they turned back. There was restoration. The God who loves to restore. And so you come to Psalm 51, often called David's Psalm of penitent Psalm, but really he's, he's repented and confessed and been forgiven in Psalm 32. Now in Psalm 51, he's reflecting on the fact that the, the first great victim in his sin with Bathsheba was his personal fellowship with God. And he knows now he's been forgiven. He knows now that righteously that matter of his sin has been dealt with. But he's now longing for the restoration of fellowship. To get back to that, that communion with God, that effectiveness for God that he had, that he had so... Um, uh, desperately spoiled in his rebellion. So reflection will lead to repentance, and repentance will lead to restoration. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And maybe, it just may be, my beloved saints there in Midland Park, it may be that God has shut us down for this kind of reason. And because it's such a big deal, because it's such uh, a massive change for us all, there's a reluctance, sometimes it seems amongst us, to even entertain the idea that God is doing this to us. But he hasn't changed. And when you open your Bible, you find that there's many, many occasions when he has done exactly that. He stopped people in their tracks, and he stopped them in their tracks, till they get back to the right thing. You think of Psalm 50. 
we've been mostly in the Psalms here, haven't we? But but go into Psalm 50 uh, and uh, gather my saints together unto me, those with whom I've made a covenant by blood and so on. And, and many a gospel hall has that adorning their wall. But really God's calling his people together in that psalm to rebuke them. He's calling on the north, the south, the east, the west. He's calling on heaven and earth to, to observe this, um, this gathering together of his people. And for north, south, east, and west, heavens and earth, for them to judge whether God is being unfair or unrighteous in making these demands upon his people. And as he speaks to his people, God says to them, you'll be wondering why I've called you together. Well, it's not for the sake of you having neglected the frequency of your offerings. Spot on. Uh, it's not that you've not offered those offerings following the right procedure. All spot on. And uh, as you read through that very interesting psalm, it's as though the people are then saying to God, well, what's your case against us? You've said that our offerings are just what they should be and they're coming at the right time and the schedule's right. And so what's your case against us? And God says, I'll tell you exactly what my case is against you. You think as you bring these offerings and as you go through these procedures, you think you're doing me a favor. You think that I need your offerings. Listen, he said, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. If I want cattle, if I want sheep, they're all mine anyway. I don't want any of your sacrifices and offerings except they reflect a contrite and a humble spirit and a humble heart. I'm not interested in procedures. Is it possible that in our busyness, I'm not judging motives. God forbid, I'm not judging anybody. I'm, I'm asking the question. I'm asking us to think about it. Is it possible that we had got into a state of complacency where so long as the meetings went on in a certain way and conformed to certain standards, that that was all going to be okay? And God, who knows the heart, has looked upon us and perhaps the Lord of the assembly has said it's time for these people to come into a desert place and rest a while. And just be refreshed and reflect by those cool, still waters. And as they reflect and as they're refreshed, so there'll be a repentance of heart and a humbling of spirit so that we can be restored. And maybe, who knows, it's perfectly possible, I think personally, it's perfectly possible that before I ever meet publicly with my beloved brethren here in Forest again, we'll, be, we'll meet them in the air. I really believe that these events we're living through are at least the prelude to the events that will follow the rapture. The momentous days, there's no doubt about it. And it could be that the next great gathering I'm a part of will be the gathering where we meet the Lord in the air. What a blessed prospect. But if the Lord remains away, and if an element of normality is restored, and we can meet together again, as God willing, you'll be able to as an assembly next week, procedures will be different. There'll be protocols to follow, which are very important. It'll feel a bit strange at first. But it will help us to assess what means more to me. The manner of the meeting, or the method of the meeting, or the purpose of the whole thing. And these things are said to you, my beloved saints, not in any critical spirit. I hope you know that. 
I hope you know that. They're really, they're, they're in that sense reflections on my part. But the, many of these things must have gone through your own minds as well. Just to realize that we are actually in the hands of the living God. And he's dealing with his people at the moment, as well as dealing with the world more widely. But he's dealing with us, his people, and he's got a purpose in it. And it always, always is with a view to bringing us back closer and more personally to himself.